0: Hey, it's the FinTech newscast. My name is John, and with me is the brains behind all of the latest AI. Steve, welcome to the show.
1: I am the evil eye of sorrow. I, I see everything, John. How are you?
0: <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. You took it that way, huh? Not the helpful assistant that uh, Microsoft is trying to promote.
1: I'm just here to spy on you. But I, I, I did see the, the announcement. Pretty <laughs> fascinating stuff, actually, because I actually use. I use MS Suite for work, and it's it's getting a lot more powerful. I really like it, actually.
0: It's in the office already, but now it's getting rolled out in Windows 11 in their newest update. It's called uh, what? What is it? Copilot? No, Copilot. Copilot. That's it. Yeah,
1: it's it'll help you write emails. It'll help you turn uh what could be you know a word document into a PowerPoint. It's actually pretty pretty interesting stuff as well. And it's it's a it's a it's a it's a callback to if you recall, John, from the from the past yes. years of the internet, it's basically Cl- clippy got a PhD, is 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 what it
0: yeah. is. <laughs> um, yeah, right. The uh infamous, annoying Clippy. You know, computers were too slow then too. I remember Clippy, it just took long to load, and then by the time it told you something, you're like. You know, you came back from a cup of coffee—that that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Forget it, Clippy. I'll I'll just I'll just do it myself. Forget. No, it.
0: everything's so quick. I mean, these things just pop up. I mean, you just say, "Give me a picture of Steve uh, in a loincloth writing a unicorn." Bam, pops up right away, as if it wasn't the first request that Absolutely. that had been made that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting from a um, from sort of a um, a macro level as well. How it seems like Microsoft has developed a lot of really cool tools lately, and Google really hasn't. Like, I have a Google Home. I have several Google Home Assistants at, at home now, and it seems like they're all gotten just dumber in, in in the past like two years. But so they think we'd are, are your expectations behind.
0: just getting so much higher.
1: No, I'm asking basic things like just give me movie listings, you know, what time is it in so and so basic stuff. And it's just it either won't understand what I'm saying or place music in the wrong room. It's just, it seems to be, be getting worse. Whereas Microsoft has sort of um, flipped the case here and it had, they're the ones who seem to be now more, much more innovative and much more heavily leaning into the AI boom as
0: well. You can never predict the future. Even the most unlikely things can happen. Exactly. And uh, here doing. to help us with that this week is uh, uh, an expert on computers, on the payment side, especially Michael Seaman, the CEO at SwipeSum.
2: Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, yeah. So have you been trying out any of these uh, new AI tools, Dolly, OpenAI
2: Oh, most uh, any, any tools for
0: the company that look interesting for you?
2: Uh, we've we've tried a lot. We actually got pretty deep a couple years back before everyone uh, caught the buzz with Chat GPT. We tried a software called Show.ai and basically had our own AI operating system for our company around. It, it started with branding, but then we could upload all of our. Uh, user manuals, docs, mission, uh, mission, vision. And it's been helpful for, for years, but um, we mainly use it on the marketing branding side. Oh, right, right. Uh, so you've seen some of the uh, warnings about
0: uh, AI. Uh, any concerns when you look at these tools or how they
2: might advance? I uh, don't really get too concerned. And I think maybe it's because uh, I'm younger and in technology <laughs> yeah. every day. Um, I, I worked in advertising technology for a long time, and I love being tracked. I love being served the right ads. My devices can listen to me, and I'm okay with that. I don't have much to hide. I'm sure some company information gets into these AI um, softwares that we probably wouldn't want to be um, out there in the wild, but I think it's it's just you know, part of doing business in 2023. Well, yeah, I guess the older
0: generation, like Steve, he's he's much older, and uh, <laughs> just, he's, just, he's seen just movies like 2001: like A Space Odyssey with Hal, Terminator, growing up with uh, everything being kind of a a, a
2: warning tale. Right? Do you Historic? remember the original Clippy?
0: Exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh man, you're really trying to age us, huh? Okay. Roasting yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and and before, way before Clippy, too, actually. Uh, my first computer was a real computer, was a 286. You might not even know what that is. So.
1: Now that is old.
0: Yeah, 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 that's old. But you're in the payment space. So let's jump over to that. And uh, you guys bill yourselves as your fractional chief payments officer. Not the, not a payment processor, uh,
2: but the one that actually makes it work for the companies. Yeah, it swipe some. We basically help companies find the best payments solution. Um, So in the U.S., you know, you've got over 5,000 registered payments companies, some with larger sales and marketing budgets than others. Um, So people, you know, typically go to those first. Uh, We help them find actually what's right for their unique business and how they accept whatever types of payments customers want, uh, help them get the, the best deals. So help with negotiating and then auditing all of those financials on a monthly basis. Um and then we do the customer support. So the real stuff that everyone hates when you have a dispute being charged wrong, something's not working. Um, so we've we've come at it as if you were to hire a chief payments officer, um a lot of companies have that role, but most of them don't. They just need like you know some expertise every once in a while. Uh, that's what we do.
0: Your clients are pretty much uh, e-commerce companies that uh, have a lot of volume, but not necessarily
2: e- the expertise on the payment side. So we do uh, e-commerce. I would say our, our largest group of businesses is what we would call integrated payments vendors or payment facilitators. So other softwares that payments is a core functionality or they make money from payments. So like a marketplace like Etsy or a business management software for youth sports leagues could be anything, but payments is, is a heavy piece. We do a lot of work there. Uh, and then franchises are actually number two. So we have a heavy focus. Uh, franchises are nice for us because there's lots of locations. Everyone's different. They expect a uh, fully delivered business as a package. Um, in merchant services and payments can be very complicated and so we can go into a really large organizations and just fix that for them. But really, if you accept payments, uh, we, we have an offering for that. Uh, there's something I always ask people. Um,
0: uh, so when you're first talking to clients, what, what do you wish they already knew about you and, and what you guys do or what are some misconceptions when, when you're first talking to clients?
2: Yeah, I'd say the biggest misconception is um, that we are a payments company. And second are all the negative things that come with being a payments company. So a lot of people hate payments companies because they're notorious for raising rates um, on you without you knowing, um, additional fees, uh, kind of being a black box to work with. And we actually solve that problem. So... um, if people get a quote uh, per se from one of the largest payments providers and come to us and they say, you know, we're a $5 billion company and we already have a quote from FIS or FISERV or um, US banks, a a large player. Um, They kind of think they already have everything in order. Um, And realistically we just help that team. So we're able to get even better rates because we have kind of larger payments volume by leveraging all companies together and, And we're on their side. We're not necessarily trying to protect any margin that these payments companies have. So then how do you guys make money? Yeah, we we charge consulting fees. Um, So kind of typical stuff. We do integrations, then we'll charge for that. Uh, We often will take a percentage of savings if we stay on long term so that we can kind of continually want to save you money. And we also developed an AI software called Statement S T A I T M E N T. I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. It was <laughs> launched way before uh, AI was was trendy. Um, and with that, we through AI and um, optical character recognition mainly, we can audit monthly merchant services statements. So. For example, if you're BP and have fifty thousand locations globally, and to manually audit each location statements would just be impossible. uh, We could do that in a couple hours. Okay, so
0: you know that's kind of getting into a company's very private, uh, uh, protected information. uh, Maybe some client data. How do you convince uh, you? you You've been there basically since the beginning. Uh, in uh, 2016, 2017 uh, first of all, how, how did you land with some? and then um, I have so many questions. And yeah yeah, yeah. How, how do you convince those first companies to to trust you when you're you're starting and I'm sure a lot of fintechs startups want to to know this kind of thing. Um, you know how, how do you convince those first clients to, to trust you? because after you get a few you know the first ones you can point
2: to them, but at the beginning you don't have anything to to point to. It's, t- it's very tough to start from zero. So a couple of questions there, but don't want, you know, we don't touch any customer data, but we do see transactional data. Hmm. Uh, and most of the time that's, um, you know, someone's card, we don't have their personal information, but we know what type of card it is and what kind of costs should be associated. So we do have NDAs and we have a lot of insurance and we keep everything really protected, but we don't see too much sensitive data. But we do see companies' financials, um, so that's that's pretty protected. Um, at the beginning, I had actually been in the payment space, so I founded Swipe Sum uh, in, in 2016 and had the idea and called kind of my my smartest people in my group, one being my brother, to start this with me. And kind of the first were people that we had some sort of relationship with, Uh, But those are nowhere near our biggest accounts or any significant accounts. And so really, we had the, the kind of proof was in the pudding. We had to actually do the work kind of for free and then hope that people would let us keep acting like a payments expert with them. So when you go into a client engagement, I'm curious, is there any sort of broadly
1: common themes that you see? Um, Or do they vary by industry, by size, or just by issue?
2: So I would say there's two main use cases. Uh, The one everyone expects, and it does come up, is price. Uh, But that really is never – we rarely get a business with significant volume that just has absolutely terrible pricing. Um, there's a lot of things in the news right now because a lot of big brands are constantly going after the card brands to get, you know, the, the costs of interchange lowered. Um, but it's, it's pretty consistent across the board. So we do get pricing things like, Hey, can we get better pricing? And we help with that. But I'd say the number one thing, um, in most of our business is inbound. I'd say about 90% as opposed to us going out and finding it. Uh, is is a solutions problem. They want to accept a different kind of payment. Um, they might have they might have cross-border payments. Uh, they're launching a new product that needs a, a gateway or is not compatible with another software they use. So typically we start with the solution first and get the whole business, whether it's card present, card not present, online, uh, in person, um, we do a little research and and figure out who integrates best into that unique setup. Um, and then next, we go on to
1: price and how how much um i'm I'm just curious how much of of the pricing can you actually influence for from a customer side. So I know that John, for example, who's who's a small business owner, um, uh, uh, John, I'm curious, um would lowering your payment processing fees be an attractive enough feature for you to go with a different company that you have now, or sort of how do you look at the trade-off between convenience and lowering your cost and just the hassle of onboarding a, a new vendor into your system?
0: I would love to get rid of credit card fees. If those know. if those EFT cards ever come out um, that basically eliminate that or Apple card, we, we would do that. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, there, there's just only so many things you can do, and uh, uh, like Michael was saying, it, you know, once you get to a certain size, you can negotiate a bit more, um, or as your as your volume goes up.
2: But uh, hmm. yeah,
0: it, it's a it's a big expense, so we, we we look at it when we can
2: to 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 reduce as much as possible. Or sorry, yeah, to add on to that, I'd have to find the study again. I'm sure Chat GPT could pull it up for us, but. We used it a lot in the first few years when we were pitching uh, during capital raises or anything, but there's a lot of studies out that the payments or the costs associated with accepting payments is typically the second highest business expense behind labor. And so even to a small business, it's a very significant amount. Uh, But to some businesses that have maybe higher ticket prices and lower margin on those, uh sales it's an even more significant thing so we see a lot of of business owners with interest but when it comes to like an integration and a bigger thing it's normally more on the solution side than the price is there a way for um because i know that
1: john you mentioned that you you don't like your credit card fees and i know that i don't like them as well for my my purposes but i'm wondering is there a structural a, a structural reason why we have such high fees in the u.s versus
2: in in europe It's really rewards and what um, the card brands and the banks push, but also what the consumers here in the United States like to use to pay. Um, So even though mobile wallets is catching on, I I think that the two least savvy um, technical people in my life, being my dad and my wife, (laughs) <laughs> Probably won't listen to this anyway, so they won't they won't get that. But wait, wait um, put them on blast, yeah. Yeah. But they can use mobile wallets and add their cards and they know how to go in, touch it to the reader, leave it there for a second, and it pays for something. Um, but a lot of us expect those rewards and we have certain cards that we like for different things and for travel. It's it's kind of like the American way, but um in different countries, you see that play out differently. But in North America, it's mainly around the rewards programs. Um, so,
1: basically, um, all, uh, it, so basically, every merchant that we use is shouldering the cost of, of of giving me, I don't know, my $100 gift card to RER or however I want to spend my... Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. That's pretty it's, it, it's very interesting. And then there's ways to avoid the fees, but I think... Um, it's a bad experience. So if you go in, in a place and they tack on the fee, the processing fee to you, it's kind of like, hey, I didn't know that I was going to be paying that extra three bucks because um, it's just so different. Or if they offer a discount for paying in cash, um, I just don't carry a lot of cash. And so I'm like, well, I should be able to get that with my debit card because to me, that's cash. You
1: um, know, I I always see that. I always see, for example, also say, um, businesses like coffee shops that have a sign saying, you know, um, $5 minimum for credit cards or. I, I hate
0: um, when I see that too. Oh, right? Isn't that against it should be the, illegal. Uh, the card agreement th- as well? They're I not think it's to against that? the TOS. Yeah. It's You're against right. the, the TOS for sure. But
2: they do, they, sh- you see it everywhere. Yeah. People do it anyway. And then it, you don't see it as much today uh, because of innovations like Square, but there used to be a lot of signs not that long ago that, you know, businesses wouldn't accept American express um, or like a high rewards chase card, but they, they really didn't know what that, you know, other cards could cost as much as the AMX. Um, But yeah, they shoulder, they, they shoulder those fees for us, but it's also, you know, part of doing business. And so where we come in and try to add value is say, Hey, it's going to be a business expense, but there are ways that we could help increase revenues You know, with offering the most convenient ways to pay, membership, subscriptions, uh, better access to software for those people, and then making sure that they're paying the lowest possible price to accept all those cards so we can offer a service that pays for itself. And that's really valuable to, to all businesses, but especially larger businesses.
1: So we saw I think in in the past five five years so, I think something like forty percent uh, four out of every ten dollars going in, um from VC going to startups went to some kind of fintech startup, right? I think that has decreased in the past you know, two years or so. But I'm curious what are some intractable or still or still lasting issues that you see within Fintech that a company like like yours can help um can help others basically fix?
2: Yeah, Fintech in general just thinking about what you said has, has been great. And since starting, you know, typically higher valuations, um, there's more money that go into Fin, that, you know, go into FinTech startups. I actually uh, just saw some news from Carta this morning about safe and seed rounds. So that, you know, where's the earliest money going and FinTech was still, Towards the top with the highest dollar amounts and most raises, so so still very strong. Uh, some of the new, more exciting pieces uh, everyone's trying to leverage AI right now. So the um, financial advisors, how they can, how everyone can leverage AI for their business, whether it's you know acting as your controller for something specific like merchant services or different things, um, embedded banking. Uh, Into startups is another big, big new cash rush. Like, can you offer bank accounts? Can you issue cards to your users? Um, So leveraging a fintech platform to easily launch kind of financial products within your existing software uh, is really trendy right now.
0: So what has your path uh, been like uh, with SwipeSum? Have you guys uh, had to raise capital from the, the VC world? Or or any major pivots or uh, along the way changing the the business model or is, is this pretty much um, what you were what you were targeting or growing towards uh,
2: uh, from the beginning? Yeah, so if you search good enough, you can probably find our initial pitches. But uh, we have, okay. we have the stereotypical startup story, you know, but done our own way. So we started without money and without clients. And we did accelerators. We pitched from the beginning and we got really lucky uh, kind of during one pitch. We had several investors that were following us. We had one preparing a term sheet, Uh, but we pitched to a group of angels and one of the um, people, or a person in the room had invested early in Heartland payments uh, that sold for I want to say around $4 billion. Um, and so they understood what we were trying to do from going through it with Heartland. Um, our original pitch, though, we wanted to be the first marketplace for payments. So I think it's still a little ahead of its time, but you go in online and um, Toggle what softwares you use, what problems you're trying to fix, and then we could immediately know what providers fit into that um, setup, have them bid on pricing, and you know, all online, you could quickly get the best solution at the best price. We found out that that was really tough to actually execute on without humans. Uh, But we also found out that businesses don't want to make those significant decisions online. Like they wanted to talk to an expert. So as opposed to just going online and maybe picking what health insurance is best for your, you know, large business, you know, they want to talk to some of the people and see what everybody else is using and see what, you know, they want a little sales pitch. So that was, if, if we did have a pivot, it was going from, basically presenting ourselves as a marketplace and building software to do that to really it being um, software-enabled consulting. So we use our experts, we've hired experts and have built software to um, help people understand what they're getting, but also have built software like custom payments infrastructure, gateways and integrations between software so you can leverage something. So we've raised money early, or we raised money in 2018, um, pretty lean for actually what we've built and and where we are. We've raised about $5 million to date, and we now have a profitable company going into 2024, about 20 employees, and we're kind of ready for that next step.
0: Yeah. What do you need? What's the obstacle you'd most like to overcome to, to get to the next phase
2: of growth. Yeah. We're in a really unique spot. Um, because it's, it's a real business now and, uh, it's really close to, you know, making a lot of money. If you look forward over the next say three years, but what could really increase that would be, um, a lot of capital behind us or, or, you know, kind of teaming up with a large company to do it. I think uh, if you look online, our success stories really speak for themselves. We've got the large logos, um, but no one really knows that we exist. Uh, and so you they know, will after of, this, uh Michael, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it really helps because it's kind of, you know, one new person for us still makes, a, a pretty big impact. So I think if people knew that we had a, an offering, um, the company would be much larger, larger, but we've been trying to, you know, we've been figuring out and making headway on that for five years.
1: I'm also curious because you are also in Missouri, I, I believe and, and and I'm wondering, um, do you think that that affects your access to capital and access your access to top talent? Or do you find that, because of remote work and everyone sort of moving around and being more flexible, you're able to access more top-notch, you know, sales and engineering type type folks? Yeah,
2: great question. Um, So we actually came to St. Louis because of an economic development program called Arch Grants. And Arch Grants uh, funds businesses that are willing to kind of, relocate to the Midwest or to St. Louis, uh, from anywhere. So I was living in, um, Santa Monica at the time. My brother, um, who started the company with me was actually working in St. Louis, but was not planning on being there permanently. Um, and I think the first thing we learned about raising capital in the Midwest is, great companies get funded. So there's, there's many startups that will never, you know, that can say that there's a lack of funding and different things, but realistically, if you have a good business, so if you have, you know, some monthly recurring revenue, solid founders, and kind of a good use case, same as, you know, on the coasts, it's easy to get funding, but if it's, uh, if you don't have those things, it is extremely difficult. Um, but it's probably difficult on the coasts as well. Uh, even through COVID, really, we did not do remote uh, remote work very well. So we've always had all of our employees in the office. Um, we have some of the best engineers, sales talent. We lean really heavily into customer success and having like a white glove account management team. And I th- I would say there's no better place in the United States to have a company that's built like that than, than where we are. So we really haven't struggled on raising money. Uh, we have several large funds behind us um, that are from here and some are not from here. Um, talent. Maybe if we were building something that was, you know, I see like some web three, startups that really have, you know, need for a specific type of engineer and, you know, they're hard to come across, but, um, there's several large companies in St. Louis that develop a lot of talent. Luckily, um, I know you guys have, or have been with Wells Fargo and, you know, we were able to get some, some of their great engineers. after they had, awesome. you know, spent a lot of money or time and money building them up. Uh, um, I'm sure you're
0: using their time much better.
2: I think they agree, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm really pleased there hasn't been a, a gap that we've had trouble filling or have needed to get recruiters involved even from the beginning. So we're pro Midwest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you'll be uh, the, the center of uh, a, a growing uh, FinTech group or, or startup group in there. maybe they'll refer to that as a swipe some mafia someday
2: <laughs> yeah if we could if we were ever referred to as that and that was you know synonymous with the other paypal mafia that'd be pretty, that'd be yeah. pretty yeah yeah
0: some kind of success yes yeah <laughs> um good luck and keep up the good work thank you a lot
2: guys appreciate
0: it Yeah, yeah, that's Michael Seaman, the CEO and founder of Swipe Some. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in fintech news, and thank you for listening.